<clears throat> As you're turning to Luke 6, let me welcome our audience that might be watching live on home or later, uh, checking out the recording. Uh, we thank God that you're attending to his word, but we invite you to join with us here at Clifton Park Community Church. And you may uh, hear the difficulty in my voice as I'm still getting over a cold. You can't catch it online, and there's enough distance here, I hope. But let me remind each one who's hearing the sermon today that the power and usefulness of a sermon does not hinge on the power of a voice or the charisma of the preacher. Oh, that I wish I could bring it today. One of the most important verses in the entire Bible is before us today. But the word of God has its own power. And may the spirit help us to speak and help us all to hear. God's word beginning in verse 27 of Luke 6. But I say to you who hear, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who abuse you. To the one who strikes you on the cheek, offer the other also. And from one who takes away your cloak, do not withhold your tunic either. Give to everyone who begs from you. And from one who takes away your goods, do not demand them back. And as you wish that others would do to you, do so to them. If you love those who love you, what benefit is that to you? Even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who do good to you, what benefit is that to you? For even sinners do the same. And if you lend to those from whom you expect to receive, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners to get back the same amount. But love your enemies and do good, and lend, expecting nothing in return, and your reward will be great, and you will be sons of the Most High, for he is kind to the ungrateful and the evil. Be merciful, even as your Father is merciful. May the Lord bless the hearing, believing, and obeying of his holy word. Amen. The sermon title this morning is The Mark of the Christian, and it raises the question, what is the mark of a Christian? How can you spot a Christian? And I'm sure if we took a survey, not just of the people in this room, we'd come across many good answers. If we went over to the mall or, or, or somewhere out in our community, we might get a broader scope of answers. People think of all sorts of things. Uh, someone who carries a big Bible or someone who wears a cross might be considered a Christian. Someone dressing up on Sunday and going to church. Some say, oh, that person is so nice and they smile so much and they don't curse or swear. Maybe they're a Christian. Maybe you see someone preaching on a street corner, repent, the end is near. And you think that's probably a Christian. Or you see someone protesting abortions. Yeah, that's it. I'll let the world know I'm a Christian by protesting. 
Well, my friends, the Lord Jesus Christ taught what the mark of the Christian was to be. And he made it explicit. Did he not? In many places, but particularly in John chapter 13, Jesus says, A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. So also you are to love one another by this, says Jesus. All people will know that you are my disciples if you have love one for another. John chapter 13 and other places. And Jesus said it was a new commandment. The command to love wasn't new, but what he added was new as I have loved you. Sacrificial love. And as we'll see a little bit later, he loved us while we were yet sinners and rebels and enemies. Love as I have loved you. And our text here in Luke chapter 6, again, it's Jesus teaching. And twice in this section, this section that goes together, twice he says, he gives the command to love, and he takes it to its fullest extreme, the fullest scope, and says, love your enemies. And it implies everyone in between. This is a radical statement. I'm sure when it was first heard, it came as a shock and a surprise, and somebody must have turned to their neighbor and said, did he really say enemies? We know the scriptures teach us to love our neighbor, but he says our enemies. And we Christians, we've heard these words of Jesus so often that they have no more shock, they have no more sting or punch in them. And I can't quite add that with my voice today. But they should. These words should grip you. If you take them seriously. Enemies. Not just that awkward friend that you're stuck with. Or that co-worker who's a challenge. Those who wish you ill. Enemies. And the key word really is love. Love your enemies. Let's look at part of what this love is about. We'll get to the look of love, how it's displayed. But I want you to see the, the, the scope and the nature of that command first. How it goes beyond some of our common thoughts. So this first heading has three points and they all begin with the word beyond. Loving your enemies means that it's beyond just loving your neighbors. Okay? We need to remember that in Leviticus chapter 19, the Old Testament law of Moses, as we call it, the Pentateuch, we were commanded, God's people of old were commanded, to love their neighbors. Leviticus 19, verse 18 You shall not take vengeance or bear a grudge against the sons of your own people, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. And Leviticus 19 down in verse 34 adds, you should also love the sojourner who is among you. The sojourner, well, that's somebody who's visiting 
in your parts, whether a tourist or a pilgrim. The concept of enemy doesn't seem to be present there. But we know that when the law of God speaks of your neighbor, Jesus understood that to mean anyone that you have the opportunity to love. Didn't Jesus uh, teach that and correct that in the New Testament when he's asked, you know, who is my neighbor? And he tells a parable. Do you remember which one? The parable of the good Samaritan. And he says, which one proved to be a neighbor? Even though they were from geographically diverse places. Someone who had the opportunity to do something was truly loving their neighbor. So just because Leviticus and other places talk about loving your neighbor, don't limit that scope to Clifton Knowles or Clifton Park or to Glenville or whatever your neighborhood might be. But the enemy comment we have here the words of Jesus in Luke 6, he also said that according to Mark, excuse me, Matthew's Gospel, chapter 5, Matthew's Sermon on the Mount, he says, But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. So Jesus had delivered that, that very command. And it's a love that goes beyond our simplistic limitation of neighbor. And so that makes it pretty big. But it also goes beyond in a second and a third way. It goes beyond refraining from negative actions. Okay, in the Old Testament, loving your neighbors, uh, at least in the Jewish practice and in the rabbinical teachings, that was a very limited thing. Don't do something to your neighbor. Don't steal. Don't abuse. Don't lie. Don't. And the, it seemed that the Jewish way of loving your neighbor was built primarily in what you didn't do to him. And sometimes that's how we define being nice. We don't say anything bad. Some of us were raised as children to say, if you can't say anything nice, don't say anything at all. This love that we're called to is beyond refraining from negatives. That's, that's being nice. That's showing mercy, perhaps. But this love, as Jesus speaks of it, goes beyond the negatives into positive actions. The New Testament scholar Leon Moore said, It's not enough to refrain from hostile acts. The Christian is to do good. Isn't that what Jesus says? We can read it again for ourselves um, in verse 28. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who abuse you. Do good to those who hate you. Those are proactive and positive steps. Some of us know what's coming up, and we'll get to it in a minute. They'll turn the other cheek. They think, okay, as long as I don't retaliate, I'm loving someone. That isn't all that Jesus says here. Don't pick and choose. Uh, we don't want to put ourselves above the Lord Jesus. He said, yes, turn the other cheek. But he says, proactively, do good, bless, pray. 
I was so surprised in a wonderful and positive way on Wednesday night during prayer week when Pastor Brian talked about this very need to pray for our enemies. Some of us were there. And it hasn't been on my agenda typically during prayer week. Okay, everybody, let's gather around and pray for our enemies tonight. We have a lot of things to pray for. But I think it struck all of us as being a biblical duty, perhaps far too often neglected. So it was a welcome call, and I think the Lord was even priming us for this word today. Not only pray for them, but do good to them, bless them, and love them, as we'll see. So this love is beyond the scope of just your neighbors, and it's beyond refraining from negative actions, and it's even beyond brotherly love the common types of things you might do to be kind and loving. You know, the Greeks had many words for love. This isn't the Greek word eros here, which is erotic or sexual love, of course. But it's also not just storge, the the familial love like a brother. Oh, my brother called, he's got a flat tire, I'm going to go out and help him because he's my brother. And it's not even phileo, like we have in Philadelphia. Brotherly love, these general terms. The term that Jesus uses here is the term which the New Testament will claim as best describing Christian love, agape. Agape love, that selfless, unconditional love that doesn't expect to be repaid, that isn't necessarily earned or warranted by an existing relationship. This is the godlike, gracious love of a Christian. Agape is here. Wow. Agape your enemies. Love your enemies. You've heard of the two greatest commandments. They both involve love, right? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. And the second commandment, love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus said these two great commandments really sum up the whole of the Bible. I I would simply follow that up that perhaps the hardest commandment also uses the word love and it's right before us today. As we love God and love our neighbor, remember that that love must also extend all the way to our enemies. The hardest command, perhaps it is. Let's look secondly at our heading this morning, the look of love. How might this be described and how does this appear? The Lord Jesus gives us several examples in our text. And before I speak of those examples, let me just remind you about the context in which we're working here. The context before we get to all those turning the cheek and giving away your undershirt and all of that. What has happened so far in chapter 6? Jesus has exercised his authority. He's done some healing And he has a following of disciples. And out of that group of disciples, he calls to himself 12 who would be apostles, particularly designated ambassadors of the gospel and messengers for Jesus. And after calling them, and the list of names is here, 
Jesus begins to minister to the crowds and gives this great sermon. It's, it's much like the Sermon on the Mount. Perhaps it is the exact same, only Luke's telling of it, or maybe it's the recap after the Sermon on the Mount. It's down on the plain, and here's the recap for the masses. This is in the context of Jesus calling people out of the world to follow himself, to live differently from the world, and when they face persecution and opposition for doing so. The context of the examples, it's important to note, is Christian persecution. The context for these examples is when you are living as a Christian and because of your living for Christ, these things happen, respond as a Christian. You will suffer for the sake of Christ. And when these sorts of things happen, for the sake of Christ, also have a Christian response. And we emphasize the context because of two important footnotes. And I want to be heard very clearly. Jesus is not here condoning domestic abuse. Wives, if your husband slaps you on the face, turn your other cheek. No, not that at all. And any Christian patriarchies out there that say it's okay to hit your wife, they're wrong. Let me know, I'll go talk to them, or worse. Uh, it's, it, it's, it's been present in my lifetime. I've met Christian men who think they can get away with nonsense. So the context is very important. Jesus isn't condoning domestic abuse or personal abuse between people. He's not endorsing criminal behavior. If a criminal comes to your house and steals the family silver, yeah, don't give him anything else. Call the police. Resist that. Jesus is not giving blanket statements about how Christians are the doormats of the world and the enablers of the evildoer. We know that Jesus allowed for government to do its part? Given to Caesar what is Caesar's, and unto God what is God's. We know that the Bible talks about how governments are instituted to bear the sword. Jesus often spoke of self-defense. And interestingly enough, you can look it up later on in John chapter 18, Jesus has been arrested, he's in this mock trial, and it was a, it was a bad deal, breaking rules and regulations. And at one point, Jesus said something. And when he had said these things, one of the officers standing by struck Jesus with his hand saying, is that how you answer the high priest? What did Jesus do when he was struck? He did not turn the other cheek on that occasion. He answered him, if what I said is wrong, bear witness about the wrong. But if what I said is right, why do you strike me? So we have to be careful about the context and doing sloppy Bible study. We want to be clear. What's the point? And there's a cumulative effect here that are summed up. Love your enemies as God has loved you. That's where it's all going and that's where it ends up. The context is living out the Christian life. And when you're persecuted for Christ 
And when that testimony is particularly on the line, stay the course. So let's look. What is the nature of this love? These four examples are counterintuitive to the natural man. Most people don't think this way. These are things for those who follow Christ. The spiritual man alone can really undertake these things. Uh, We can read them again. He says in verse uh, 29, To the one who strikes you on the cheek, offer him the other also. From the one who takes away your cloak, do not withhold your tunic either. Give to everyone who begs from you, and to the one who takes away your goods, do not demand them back. For examples, the, the, the slap on the cheek. I, I, I would remind you, I don't think it's a punch. That's not the word used here. It is most likely, although it's debated, it's most likely a backhanded, symbolic blow to the face as an insult or a rebuke. When a Christian was at the synagogue, for instance, and he was trying to say, no, Isaiah 53, it's about Jesus. Someone would slap him and and say, no. You You don't necessarily back away. The Christian who is insulted for Christ hangs in. Yes, it is about Jesus. So I I take that striking on the cheek not as a a, a mugging for your wallet. It's an insult when you speak for Christ. We know the context here up above. It said, uh, uh, verse 22 Blessed are you when people hate you and when they exclude you and revile you and spurn your name as evil on account of the Son of Man. The earliest Christians were primarily Jewish people and there were clashes and their enemies were once their brothers. Somebody takes your cloak. Christians, their reputation of being kind Somebody says, oh, there's that Christian guy. Let's let's mug him. And they may take your cloak because you're a Christian. Maybe they're in need or maybe they are a criminal. But if they're picking on you because you're a Christian, engage with them. Hey, man, what do you need? What's going on? That's the sense. And when it says give your tunic, the shirt that goes under your cloak as well, the Christian hangs with the sinner. As much as possible, live at peace with all men. And in the third example, when it says somebody begs, I've I've looked at the word, it's the very common word for ask. It's not necessarily the panhandler. So don't limit it to that, because that's not always the right thing to do, to give to a panhandler. But when someone asks for help, when the neighbor comes by, Or in college, I was at the University of Wisconsin-Eau Claire, and I was in the dormitory with all the athletes. Don't ask me how I arranged that. But they were also heavy drinkers back in the day. And one evening, a guy named Tony uh, comes, knocks on a door. My roommate and I, he was a senior, I was a freshman, says, can you help me? My roommate, he's 
drunk and he passed out in his bed and now he's thrown up all over himself. Can you help me? Why is he knocking on our door? Well, my big roommate, Hollis, and I were both well-known Christians. We tried to have Bible studies. And it was as if they said, you're a Christian, will you help me? Will you do something for me? And we did. Hollis physically picked up the guy and took him down to the showers. And I stripped the bed. When someone begs from you, and I think the sense is as a Christian, and they don't always have to use the words, but you might realize they're coming to me because I'm a Christian. Be like Christ. Go the extra mile. How many people came up, Lord, Lord, someone in my household is ill. Will you come to my house? And he did. Takes your goods away. Give, um, it's in verse 30. The one who takes away your goods. And that that's, it is not necessarily a reference to stealing or thievery, as I said earlier. If someone's burgling your house, don't help him pack his burglary bag. But if you've loaned something to your neighbor, and he borrowed it perhaps because you're a Christian, don't take him to small claims court. Don't litigate. The Lord has a lot to say about taking fellow Christians to court. But here, if we're to love others, don't demand these things back. Keep a focus on the relationship and the opportunity and who you represent, the Lord Jesus Christ. And and my explanations fall short in many regards, but the words of Jesus here are provocative, they're unconventional, they're counterintuitive because they're not of this world. It's a wisdom from above. And you, you can't just find a niche and dismiss your responsibilities here. These are examples of a command that says, love your enemy. How are you going to love him if it's not something that looks like this? This is the nature of it. It is, what's the nature? It is generous. It is practical. It is sincere. And it is non-discriminatory. We don't have people necessarily taking our cloaks. But we have people infringing on our time. Maybe steering conversations away to see if they can get a rise out of us. We have family pressures, work pressures. We can identify. But the look of this love, nonetheless, is Christ-like. Generous, practical, sincere. And there's a cost to this love, real costs. How do I know that? Well, I know, I know how Jesus loved us. There's a real cost to his love. And if these things are so, we might be out. Whatever we've loaned, we might be in pain. We might be scorned. There are costs. Let's just take one sample before... We move on about the cost. Turn with me in your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 10. Hebrews chapter 10. 
Hebrews. It's after most of those letters. Hebrews chapter 10 in your New Testament. We don't know who the author of Hebrews was, but he knew the law of God and he was inspired by the Holy Spirit. Down near the end in verse 32, he talks about uh, this Christian experience and you know where he's going to go in, in chapter 11. Before he gets to the great hall of fame of faith, what people in the Old Testament endured, he's, he writes this, Hebrews 10, verse 32. But recall the former days when after you were enlightened, so he's writing to Christians, you endured a hard struggle with sufferings, sometimes being publicly exposed to reproach and affliction, and sometimes being partners with those so treated. For you had compassion on those in prison, and you joyfully accepted the plundering of your property, since you knew that you yourselves had a better possession and an abiding one. Therefore, do not throw away your confidence, which has a great reward, for you have need of endurance, so that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what is promised. I remember the very first time I read that and the Bible was commending somebody because they got plundered for the sake of Christ. It happens. It happens. There's a cost to following Christ. Back to Luke chapter 6 as we discuss the look of love here. There's a fourth thing I want to tell you because it appears next in our list. Um, And it's in verse 31. It stands alone. It says, and, so it's connected to these examples. How do we love our enemies? Here's some examples. And he's done with examples, so he gives the rule of love. And as you wish that others would do to you, do so to them. He gives a broad principle. He says, "I, I can't keep going on giving you more and more and more and more examples so let me give you a rule in other words a practice uh, a, a, a word of guidance where you're in the gray areas and you're not sure how as a christian you should respond so what does he do he gives this rule what else do we know this rule by it has a different name the golden rule people know this uh in our culture it's become a part of western civilization as a as a high virtue There was some form of this in the Old Testament. But the Old Testament form was negative. Don't do to anyone what you don't want them to do to you. Here Jesus again expands, explodes our preconceptions. And gives this positive. It's almost as if he says for a third time, love your neighbor. He says, as you wish that others would do to you, so do to them. It's like that second great commandment. Love your neighbor as yourself. Boy, that opens it up, doesn't it? The rule of love covers all the gray areas. You're not sure what to do? Come back to this. Philip Ryken, pastor in in uh, Wheaton, Illinois, said, only this kind of love reveals the power of God's grace. 
And that's where the Lord Jesus goes. In our third heading, we see what he brings up in this next paragraph, beginning in verse 32. He's going to talk more about love, right? If you love, and he's going to give these hypotheticals about how we love. He's going to be talking about the the nature and the motive of love. And I call it the grace of love. Reminding us that, hey, you Christians aren't just to be the nicest of the nice. You are something exceptional. There is a gospel connection, a grace connection to this love. What does he say beginning in verse 32? Let's read a couple of these verses again. If you love those who love you, what benefit is that to you? Even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who do good to you, what benefit is that to you? For even sinners do the same. You see that he's beginning to draw a contrast. If you're hearing, I say to you who hear, if you're following me as Christians, don't just be like sinners in general. Verse 34, and if you lend to those from whom you expect to receive, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners to get back the same amount. But he is talking to Christians. Your way of loving is not merely reciprocity. It's not merely, I'll scratch your back if you scratch mine. That's the world's limit to love. What is reciprocity? I should probably define that for those uh, who don't love vocabulary as much as I do. Reciprocity, it's the exchange of things for mutual benefit. I'll do this for you if you do that for me. I remember watching among my four boys how they would trade their Hot Wheels cars. Oh, I really want that one. Well, what do you give me? I'll give you that. Well, I don't like that. They would work till they found out something that was mutually beneficial. When the toddler came along and just swiped one of the big boys' cars, that was not reciprocity. That was theft. And so we had to undo that. Christian, when you are loving, you don't just love those who will love you back. Christians do practice hospitality. We do love one another. And it's okay for me to love you because God commands you to love me as Christians. But what Jesus is talking about is is really outside and beyond. Don't look to mere reciprocity. This is a different kind of love. And notice that he rebukes the reciprocity idea three times. Because he knows how we think. And we have to hear that rebuke and corrective. Three times Jesus says, don't just be like the world. If you're going to bear my name, if you're going to serve me, it's got to be more than that. So really the model for us is God's love to sinners. What does Jesus teach in verses 35 and 36? But love your enemies. He comes back to repeat that. That's the second time. Love your enemies and do good and lend, expecting nothing in return, and your reward will be great. And, hear this last part, you will be sons of the Most High, for he is kind to the grateful and the evil. Be merciful even as your Father is merciful. Now hear me. Jesus is not saying... To become a Christian, do good 
keep the rules, earn it. No. He is saying, if you are a Christian and you're following me, your life in this way, doing good, lending and loving, will prove that you are sons of the Most High. But notice here, the first and significant point is that God's love is the model for our love. God's love. Why, why does he, he doesn't just say, you'll be my disciples. He says, you'll be sons of the Most High. For he is kind to the ungrateful and to the evil. Christians have to be kind to evil people? Well, if they are enemies, we have to love them. And that doesn't mean you try to hug somebody from North Korea or somebody with a gun. You do what's for their good. This is the the Christian giving love, and it may be a sacrificial love on our part. The model is God's love to us, for he is kind. So as God has loved the world, that becomes our model. Not as sinners loving sinners. That's not our model. God so loved the world that he gave. While we were yet sinners, God loved us. Right? We were rebels. We were unclean. We were filthy in our sin. We, we would we'd give God the finger. We, we just didn't want him in our rebellion. Yet his amazing love, his amazing grace reaches into this filthy world of sin and depravity and calls forth a people for himself. To be a Christian, to be called out of the world by the grace and power of God. That's how God has loved us. How has God loved you? Be like your father as you love others. The ancient church father Ambrose uh, lived in a day when Christians were still often treated poorly. He said this, just talking broadly, the gospel gives us love for hostility, benevolence for hatred, prayer for curses, help for the persecuted, patience for the hungry, and the grace of rewards. The gospel. God's love to us, so undeserved, unmerited. The key word here is as. As one commentator said, this love of enemy, in this love, we are modeling God's own character, manifested fully in Jesus For when we were God's enemies, he loved us back into fellowship with himself. Romans 5. That's the model for us. It's a gracious love. And finally, here it is the mark of the Christian. As I said, that expression in verse uh, 35, you will be sons of the Most High, means you will be identified with Christ. The mark of the Christian is love. 
not just wearing a cross or carrying a Bible or what you stand against. Come on. Jesus spoke about sin, yes. But he came with a message of hope and grace and he gave of himself. If we are his followers, this is the mark of our Christianity as well. I would turn that around and say, here is a test, my friends. Are you a Christian? Do you love as God loves? Do you even love your enemies? As Del Ralph Davis says, this is no conventional ethic, but it's an exceptional distinctive and different ethic. It identifies the Christian, the one who is new in Christ. It's good to remind you that it is possible to become a Christian at any moment, especially when God is near with the offer of the gospel as we point men and women and boys and girls to Jesus Christ. Come unto me, all ye who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. No one comes to the Father but by me. Jesus is the key. Do you know Jesus? Do you trust him? Have you repented of your sins and come by faith to Christ? Receive his love and let him turn you into a loving Christian. It's the mark. Well, in closing this morning, I praise God for the energy we've had to look and talk about these things. Amen. Uh, let, Let me just emphasize three things in closing. Important. Number one, the Christian shows himself to be a son of God by his love. The Christian's love is evidence of the new birth. Maybe that's the simplest way to put it. If you so love others, not just as the world loves, not just being nice, employee of the weak, you need to be Christian in a difficult place with this exceptional ethic that confounds the world, especially the enemies of Christ. I struggled Wednesday night to know who to pray for when, it, when Brian was saying, pray for your enemies. But they're out there, I suppose. Maybe we don't need a capital E enemy with a nuclear weapon. Maybe we just need to see somebody that's antagonistic but I really want to obey this command because I love Jesus. I've been loved by Jesus. And I need to bear that fruit. Remember what Jesus said in John 13, a new commandment I give you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. It's the evidence. Number two, The Christian cannot be selective with his love. 
I think Jesus made that point at least three times uh, here in verses 32 to 34. If you love those who love you, what benefit is that? So you can't just only love those who love you. You can't just do good to those who do good to you. You can't be selective with your love. We know that fallen human beings are prone to be discriminatory and prejudiced and biased. We make those choices all the time. Sometimes they're just very little ones. But my friends, the Christian has to rise above the way sinners live. Not just being with those who are like us or with those who like us, but being in the world. Do you ever wonder why when you got saved and you have a hope for heaven, why, why doesn't Jesus just take us right to heaven? Why, why do I live out this life in this broken world? It's, it's a challenge. One of the purposes is for us to continue to love people in the world as Jesus loved us. We can't be selective in our love. And finally, the Christian cannot be shallow in his love. I I do think this could be the hardest commandment, to love your enemies. It's right near the top, isn't it? This calls for sacrifice. How, How did Jesus love us? That was painful, costly love. He was treated unjustly and and meanly, and evil men harmed him without cause. Well, he's our master. He said on more than one occasion to the men and women, the teenagers that were following him, Jesus said, take up your cross and follow me. He doesn't just say, oh, pack some granola bars and let's hit the road. Take up your cross. This will cost you everything. But we'll inherit it all in the end. The Christian cannot be shallow in our love. Oh, I'm not able to love. I I can't turn the other cheek. You can't in your own flesh. The things that Christ calls us to do can only be done with the help of his Holy Spirit, with God at work in us. We are indeed clay vessels, but the power to please God, the power to bear fruit for God, the power to love your enemies comes from above. So pray, read, believe, be available. Walk in love, one to another and to the world. I was reminded this week of a powerful story, and I'll end with this, <laughs> World War II. I think my dad actually met this man. His name was Ernest Gordon. He was a captain in the Argyle and Sutherland Highlanders, that's a Scottish military unit, in World War II, later became dean of the chapel at Princeton in the 50s and 60s. Captain Ernest Gordon was captured by the Japanese and was a POW, He was held in some of the most horrible POW conditions in history, nearly died, longed to die. 
But he survived, and he was one of those who helped build the bridge over the River Kwai, if you're familiar with that part of his story, became part of that story. And as he survived those conditions, he led others to faith in Christ. When the war was over and he was liberated, Ernest Gordon and others from that liberated camp were traveling by train across Asia to get back into the West. In one place where they stopped in that train center, they saw in even horrible conditions, Japanese soldiers who were now POWs, and they'd been abused and neglected horribly. He and some Christian soldiers he knew went over to those Japanese soldiers. They broke out their limited rations and shared their food. They took out cloths and medicines and did what they could to ease their discomfort. Even as an English officer came up and yelled at Ernest Gordon and others, What are you doing? This is the enemy! Ernest Gordon did what he did in obedience to Christ. Going far beyond what we've been talking about. But with that same spirit. May we go forward and love our enemies today. And every day until Christ comes again. Let's pray. Oh, Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your spirit who helps us to understand it and apply it. Lord, may your word bear fruit in us today. May we love not just those who love us, but love even the world, even enemies, even those that are hostile to Christianity and hostile to us, may we bless them and do them good and pray for them and see your power at work, even as you subdued our rebel hearts by your grace and love. Use us. Advance your kingdom and gain glory in this world through the gospel of Jesus Christ. In his name we pray. Amen. Amen.